Hi guys, and welcome to episode 13 of Front Boards and Four Baggers. I'm Eddie from Cornhole Bagger Reviews, and we got Corbin from Corbin's Cornhole Reviews, and our special guest for today. We got the media director for the ACL. We got the ACL analyst. We got the the voice of the ACL, the commentator <laughs> that if you're you know a backyard player, you've heard him on TV. We got Trey Ryder. Trey, thanks for joining us today, man. Yeah, thanks guys. Appreciate appreciate you having me. But uh, I mean, obviously, everybody knows you as the the voice behind Cornhole. You've started up a podcast, which we'll get into around the ACL with Anthony and Michelle. Um, and you do a lot of other stuff around the season now getting into production with this, this last event that just came out with this Cornhole draft. Um, I just kind of wanted we wanted to go in a little bit of the background. You know, how did you get into Cornhole in general? I mean, were you a player first or where did this kind of s- sprung from? Yeah, so I kind of had a similar start. To, to most people getting into the game. I did start as a player um, back in 2009 is kind of when I had the first photo of me with cornhole boards and bags in the background. Um, my dad and I played together. Um, you know, I, w- I played some, some sports in high school, but cornhole became something that, you know, my dad and I would travel to go play. So um, back in high school, I played for a little bit. Um, you know, we got pretty serious in a way playing together. And then I went off to college. Um, and the story I always say, the line I always say is, you know, I went off to college and he got to keep playing. And uh, that's why he's better than I am. And that's my story. <laughs> and I stick to it. So, um, <laughs> so whenever I, uh, I graduated, um, you know, my dad was still playing and uh, I started playing again a little bit competitively and we would travel, you know, there was a, a money tournament three, three hours away. You know, we were, we were driving out there to see it. And, and in 2015, rolling into 2016, the ACL was first founded and by our commissioner, Stacy Moore, um, who's my boss now. And, and he, um, you know, he had tried a couple different ways. He had tried an, an American tailgating league, which was a, a group of, you know, tailgating sporting events that he kind of threw together. And then he also tried some other things. And then eventually he kind of started this Carolina cornhole tour, which was a series of cornhole tournaments in, in North Carolina. And he, he saw an ultimate vision for cornhole. And so he said, you know, I think I can make this a professional sport. And so in 2015, rolling into 2016, he actually pulled in my dad under his, under his, um, under his wing just to say, Hey, I had this idea but I need some help at the grassroots level, right? I need some people on the ground. I need some people running tournaments. I need do, people doing things like that. So um, my dad was one of the first ones, Eric Ryder, to, to start running some events under the ACL brand. And I remember I was always kind of, I always kind of like, you know, scoffed at the, at the thought of it. Cause I just, I, I don't know. I just didn't see the ultimate vision for the league. And I was a doubter and I was, and then I always tell people this, I was, I was one that, hundred percent doubted the ability for, for growth in the beginning. Um, but then <clears throat> there was a lot of things that started brewing, you know, they got on ESPN three is the first time in our sport that had ever happened. And then, you know, they, they, you know, they went through a couple different commentators and I'll never forget, uh, you know, how I kind of got involved with the ACL is I went to an event in 2017. It was in February. It was in Norfolk, Virginia. And I, I attended it in person and it was had ESPN three and they had gone through, they had started with one play by play guy and one color commentator and they didn't have sustained success with the color commentator. 
and they had gone through multiple different iterations with different people doing the color commentary role, and they really didn't have any success and some sustained success, I should say. And uh, I remember sitting there going and watching it back and saying to myself, man, I I think I might be able to do something like that. Like I, I felt like I knew the game enough. I was very analytically, analytically minded. My degree was in an engineering field. So I was very left brained. I was very logical um, and very analytical. So I just felt like I had that affinity. And then sure enough, the timing was just weird because almost immediately after that, um, Stacy Moore had reached out to all of his different, you know, people that are working for him, working with him to kind of launch this league and said, Hey, if you know anybody, that's interested that knows a little bit about the game. We need to, well, we want to upgrade our, our broadcast. We want to try this. And so my dad was like, Hey, he's doing this. You should do it. And I was like, I'm not going to do it. He's like, you should do it. And again, I'll never forget. I was, I was on a weekend getaway with my wife in Greenville, South Carolina. And I set up my phone in the hotel room and recorded myself I don't know, 90 seconds of me talking about cornhole and things that I think I could bring to it. And I just kind of really throwing my name in the hat. Sure enough, a week and a half later, Stacey Moore gives me a call. He says, we want to try you out as a, as a commentator. Um, can you come to Vegas in three weeks? And I was like, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> wow. And so I uh, flew out to Vegas and, uh, <clears throat> and did, did commentary in Vegas for the first time in April of 2017. And I've been with the league ever since. And I started as really just commentary. I moved over, you know, I upgraded from there to doing commentary and social media. From there, I got promoted to media director, um, which is what I was for a number of years. And then just recently this year, um, you know, promoted to a chief marketing officer role. So, um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a whirlwind of almost five years now. I'll be coming up on my five-year anniversary in a couple months here um, with the league. But it's it's just, it's just special. Um, it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's been a, it's been a whirlwind. So that was a lot to answer your question of how I got I mean, started. I was looking at my outline. <laughs> I was like, well, Trey definitely read the outline. Cause he just answered all five questions. <laughs> As he crushes so I was like, all right, cool. Thing. I don't have to say anything, but uh, a couple comments on what you said. So uh, a lot of your story is very, or we're similar personalities in terms of like my degrees in data science. I'm a st- statistician by trade is what I do. I'm super analytical, which is why like me and, Corbin, me and Corbin people <laughs> talk about us all the time. We both review bags, but I'm more focused on materials, fill, template size, all the stats behind the bag and like why it plays the way it plays. And he's more of a feel guy. Like I play it because it yep. feels good kind of thing. But it's the same thing. Why I, it makes sense why I like doing the commentary. I like talking through like, this is what they're thinking during this round. This is what, you know, these are the options that they have. This is probably the smart choice. Here's the aggressive one. You know, all that stuff is always churning. But so I, I and I've always um, really appreciated listening to the commentary that you use are clear and concise in a way that anybody can understand while also talking about things that a cornhole player would find interesting, which I think is very difficult to do where it's like, you know, if you've never watched cornhole before, you understand what's going on. But if you have watched cornhole before, you could still be impressed by some of the things that are happening, um, which I think is a tough thing to balance, which is something I respect greatly that you do. But um, that's an insane story. Appreciate that. It's an insane story. I mean, like anybody who's listening, I mean, it's one of those things where they say uh, when opportunity arises, you have to seize it. And that's the most right time, right right place, right time thing for you to be doing this full time. That just this game that you didn't think was going anywhere that you just happen to sneak your way into. And that, that's really, really cool. So 
Um, yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I really, it's, 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 it's honestly a testament to that. And then just being willing to do things outside of your comfort zone. I mean, there are, I can't tell you how many different things and how many different roles and hats that I've worn for this league. Now um, I'm doing something that I love, but there are times when I have been an event coordinator. I have been a tournament director I have been a stagehand. I have been an analyst. I have been a, you know, uh, just about anything that you could imagine. I have attempted to be a producer. I mean, I literally, it just, it never ends. And, and so that's, that's what it takes sometimes when you're building a business and building something from the ground up. You have to be willing to teach yourself things. And, and if you don't know how that, you have to be able to find resources and educate yourself because there's so many different things I've had to learn. And there's been hours and long nights of just studying things that I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. And, and, and just, it, just, it just leads to, you know, it, it's going to eventually lead to success. And that's what you have to keep telling yourself is the grind is going to pay off. Um, and, and it certainly... You know, we have a long way to go. We have a long way to go, and there's plenty oh, of grind it. left. But there are still some times where I can still sit back and appreciate kind of where where we've come. And I mean, like the uh, me and Corbin talk about all the time. The reason we got into making content is because we see where the game's gonna be soon. Like even right now, it's already blowing up. But this is still just infancy in terms of um, the sport growing, like um, for the future. And one of the things that I started doing now, actually based off something you were doing, was I started doing a cornhole vlog now, which is one thing that mm-hmm. I think you should get back into doing because I loved the couple episodes of the ACL vlog you did. Where, but the one line that sticks through my head was, "Uh, you're walking around and it's all these." empty boards and you're like there's going to be 500 people in this room that you will not score a point on and that you've never heard of he's <laughs> like and that's how deep yeah. the game is and i'm like so you should definitely get back in that vlog if you got time i really like seeing your perspective but that's what made me think like oh man this guy's setting up the features court stage he's there early unloading the boards you know like you guys are driving all everything everywhere and i mean there's a lot that goes on before you turn on your tv and see the hour of coverage but yeah, that's been the feedback a lot with the vlog, you know, and that's something that's something we'll do each season. We kind of concluded it, um, you know, just with the conclusion of our season. But once we kind of start things back up, we'll, we'll bring the blog vlog back just because it's been, you know, people people liked it so much. It gave us, you know, some behind the scenes stuff that, that, that people had never seen before, and never understood. So it's it, 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 we got a lot of good feedback on it. I'm the cornhole. We're the cornhole review guys. And my vlog gets more views than my reviews. <laughs> it's just like people people like want to like people that can't get out to these events they want to see what it's like like well if i was a player what yep. would i be seeing you know and it's just not that, that we talk about it all the time like there's so many channels of content that cornell hasn't touched yet that are just going to just continue to take off if you're willing to try all these new things are you saying stepping out of your comfort zone filming yourself walking around talking is definitely something yeah. that puts you out of your comfort zone so yep. <laughs> yeah absolutely and content I mean, you guys know this best content will drive you crazy. Content is a world that you can, you can spend hours and days and weeks on pieces of content that get a hundred views. And then you'll put, then you'll put, you'll put something out there that you threw together last minute and it goes viral and millions of people have seen it. And you just, you just want to beat your head against the wall because there's just no rhyme or reason into why it, why it does well, but that's, that's the nature of content. And, uh, I always say I always respect people who are in the content game because it can be a really frustrating and trying business to be in. Mm-hmm. 
Um, all right, we'll move a little. We talked a little bit about the commentary and obviously that how you got into it, but move into a little bit about kind of the nitty gritty of the commentary. Um, you know, obviously you've been doing this for long enough now, but at the beginning, was it difficult getting used to like having a voice on TV or saying the correct things or, you know, not saying too much, not accidentally saying you're not something you're not supposed to say, you know, like <laughs> how do you keep your brain clear and is it just slowing yourself down and saying simple is better? Or, you know, where are you going at when you get on, especially like CBS and ESPN? Yeah, a lot of great, a lot of great questions there. So um, when I first got started, yes, um, it was tough to like listen to myself. It was weird. That's the thing a lot of people say, right? Everybody says the same thing. I hate listening to myself, right? <laughs> yeah. It's true with everybody. Um, and, and, and same here. Um, I got to a point, though, and most analysts get to this point where you have to just learn how to listen to yourself because you need to learn how things do well, how things get better. Um, for me, I, the knowledge always, you're always going to expand your knowledge, but knowledge, almost a knowledge of the game was not something that I necessarily intentionally sat down one day and say, I need to practice this or I need to get better at this. Um, for me, it was more of, I wanted to focus on making the broadcast an overall better experience. So for me, it's about developing chemistry with a play-by-play um, guy and, you know, making things very com- conversational because cornhole in itself is going to be very conversational. It's, it's um, th- that's just the way it's kind of supposed to be delivered. So for me, it was more about having a conversation and balancing being in the moment with telling stories. So that's one thing. If I'm ever focusing on something, it's trying to balance when it's time to tell a really insightful story and when it's time to shut up and, you know, say what's going on. Mm. Right. So uh, that is a delicate balance. And that's something that we, that, that is intentional. Right. I mean, there are times when, you know, uh, Jeff and I, we have to piggyback off one another. We may be in the middle of a great story, but, you know, we understand that the moneymaker portion of our sport comes in the big shots and the highlight clips. Mm-hmm. And the worst thing that, that can be done in my mind on some of these big shots is me telling a story about how, you know, someone had some really tough adversity and then they hit the biggest shot of their career. <laughs> and now that person that clip doesn't have the same feel to it anymore. It's mm-hmm. something that and when people think of, if you think of your favorite cornhole shot of all time, right? Try to picture that in your head. What's my favorite shot, right? People are always going to talk about the Damon Dennis and one or the Duncan Clemmer, you know, big so, airmail yeah. drag, or even the, the, the Brett yeah. guy shot from a few years ago in mm-hmm. 2018. Yeah. Right. And the reason I like to think a big part of that was the setup to it. There was a setup. There was an execution and there was a call to it. There's been many other shots that I think could be just as special, but in the middle of talking about it, you, it doesn't have the feel. You don't get the goosebumps, mm-hmm. right? You watch the, you watch the Duncan Clemmer shot. You get the goosebumps, mm-hmm. right? Because you just, you see it all progress. And if that, that hadn't had the same feeling to it and same setup, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have had that same feel. So that's, there's a responsibility there and it's a weird word to use, but there's a responsibility to make sure that we, we, we correctly balance telling the really deep and insightful stories alongside setting up some of the, you know, the big parts of our game. 
Yeah, and I would say one of the things that I've noticed commentating small places is is because I I have the same dilemma talking about stories. But I would say the bit that when I watch Pro Cornel, you have enough rounds that it's like four bag wash, four bag wash. You know that there there's some rounds that don't have like oh they could get four here, they could get two, and I feel like you can notice like oh they miss one off the board. Okay, this is a round that I should pay like because there's a chance that something could happen here, right? Or oh two bags are jammed up. Okay, let's let's you know like pay attention. And that's kind of things I've noticed. Is like all right, if they just slide. Yep. If they're just chasing each other in the hole, you could just talk about something interesting because the, the story gameplay time. is not filling the interesting void at yep. the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that is a really – it is true though because, I mean, your voice will be on those clips for the rest of existence, right? So like you you want to be adding to the clip. And one clip you didn't bring up that I literally rewatch all the time is – it's not one of the greatest. But what Eric Davis's airmail over the uh, – yeah, over, over the setup yeah. or whatever, where it was on the camera, moon shot over. Over. Yeah. yeah, which is yeah. the most ridiculous thing that you throw it like thirty feet in the air to hit an airmail. Yeah, but but yeah, I mean, there's so many yeah. of those clips. But you're right. I mean, you watch the clips. It's like we're not listening to you talk about their childhood. We're listening to you like you know, or you're quiet, just letting them shoot it and then reacting to the shot or something like up on those lines. So that is true. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and and. and and, and there's a difference too. Uh, there's a big difference. And I kind of have to, when, when someone comes on my commentary team, I kind of have to break them a little bit because there's a difference between commentating behind your, by yourself with a cell phone camera 100%. and commentating with multiple people. Right. Cause I started the same way. You know, I was by myself behind a camera. I think I was fortunate to not have a long time from when that happened. Facebook Live just kind of started getting a big deal when I kind of came in. So I was able to kind of start from both. But a lot of people, all they've done their entire time is behind a cell phone calling a match by themselves. And then you take that person who's used to talking and talking and talking and talking and talking, and you put them in a booth with somebody else, it's a completely different ballgame because now they have to interact with somebody. They can't talk 100% of the time. And what I find is right out of the gate, they want to dominate 90% of the conversation. And and you can't do that. Um, You you just, trust me, it doesn't come off well to the viewers. That's just, you would watch it back in no no space. All of your favorite shots, again, think through all these different favorite cornhole shots. They're not, um, it's not just me talking the whole time. It's not just Jeff talking the whole time. There's a dynamic, there's a back and forth thinking about all your favorite calls of all time, there's back and forth between the commentators. And so that is a big learning point for a lot of people. And that's one thing that I would encourage. There are people out there that are, that are wanting to, to, to learn how to do commentary with cornhole. At some point you have to get somebody else with you. Even if it's behind a cell phone, you got to learn how to bounce off of somebody else because that's, what's going to elevate you to that next level. Huh, that's really good to know. I mean, that's a yeah. great point. Mm-hmm. And I mean, me and Corbin have that with this podcast too. Like, there's there's just moments that you have to be like, you know. And I think it helps with your partner having the dynamic where, like, with Jeff, you know that he know like you know that he's thinking the same thing that you're thinking, so you can let him take it because you know that like yeah. he's gonna he's gonna fill in the blank that you were gonna fill in. So having that trust to know, like, I have this really cool thing I want to say, but Jeff could probably say it too. I don't have to be the one to always say these cool things. Um, and, and that would be a tough it dynamic. Also means, and it also means, it also means with a, you know, a commentary, sometimes you can't get everything out that you want. 
I can't tell you how many times I've had a great bit. I've had a great phrase. I've had a great something piece of content, whether it's two seconds, 10 seconds, a minute, two minutes that I just couldn't do because Hmm. if you force it, it sounds even worse. And Mm. so sometimes you just have to have patience and wait and wait till the next time to do it. So, so my wife's conversations of active listening actually matter in the real world. Dang. (laughs) <laughs> wow I hope she yes. does not watch these no, no 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 but it's a good skill to learn because i mean as a really social person and everybody else who's really social like my family's really social the biggest thing when you all get together is is uh you just talk over each other the whole time like no one actually ever stops right so when that's what you grow up with your yep. whole life and instead of stopping the way that you start is by talking louder than the other person you know, and that's how you like, so learning how to take a step back and just slowly like transitioning is, is, I mean, that's probably the hardest thing that I struggle with. Um, like doing any form of content is, is understanding that like, and the thing with the podcast, we talked about this multiple times. Like I trust that Corbin has the same thought I do about a question. So like he can take the question, even though I'm excited to ask it, I know he'll probably take it the same direction I will. So it's okay to let him take it. And, and, but that's a hard thing. That's a really good, good point to touch on. Cause I, I don't think people point. realize that. I think they're just like, I love to talk. I could do that, you know, rather than, yeah. you know, because it is true. Like you and Jeff, it sounds like you guys are sitting on the couch watching the game together. Right. It doesn't mm-hmm. sound like you're trying to that's tell exactly. America. And, that, and that's why, that's why, that's how people, that's how people find it interesting is there is a conversation involved. And so Again, it's tough. It's just a tough transition for a lot of people. But that's that's my biggest piece of advice: is yes, I know you can call a game, right? I know you can, but now call it with somebody else. Cool, Corbin. You want to take the next section? I do love it, or the next part. I just, I really, yeah, I really like that. Um, so we have heard Trey that you sit pretty close to the broadcast court uh, when they're playing. So is that in the back of your head as you're? calling a game and telling stories and stuff like that, that maybe the players can hear you or is that just part of the game to you? And it's just kind of is what it is. Yeah. It's so funny because Jeff and I are totally different. And if you hear Jeff tell this story, it's actually kind of funny. He's like, (laughs) Jeff, I wish he was here. I wish I could like bring him in and let him tell this part (laughs) of the story. But he's like, I'm going to try to tell it through his eyes. Um, He's like, you know, Trey and I, were, when we're sitting on a broadcast, he's like, Jeff will sit there and let's say Cheyenne Renner has made 24 bags in a row. He's like, I sit there at the edge of my booth this, and I'm, I'm pretending to be Santa. Jeff. And Jeff's like, and Cheyenne Renner is going for 25 <laughs> in a row. And he's being super quiet. And then he's like, but Trey over there is like, Cheyenne Renner is going for 25 in a row. Everybody like, and so it makes fun of me because I don't, I, I, I don't care if they can hear me. Yeah. I'm, my, my main mission is trying to deliver the information that I have. And as a result of me not caring, <laughs> it, it certainly can get heard by the, by the players on the main stage. So it is, it is funny. They can hear me. Um, you know, there's a couple of times I, and sometimes I get reminded when they can hear me. Um, <laughs> the most, I would say the funniest part of me ever getting heard was, there was a time back in 2018, and uh, I'll never forget this. Cody Henderson was playing Matt Guy in the singles final, um, and there was a bunch of bags in front of the hole. Cody Henderson had the last bag, and it was not a good airmail opportunity. Like, <laughs> like it just wasn't. And so 
I was kind of saying, well, he could air me out, but I don't really like it. And Cody Henderson threw the bag a mile in the air, <laughs> wanting to just land on the front of the board. So when he threw it way up in the air, my first reaction was, and he's, oh no, he's going up. And then when it landed on the front of the board, the entire crowd just pointed at me and just started laughing at me. And uh, I was just like, like, oh, I just felt like, <laughs> I just felt like a bum in the middle of the room. But I, 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 t- I kind of had to learn to wait a half a more second, right? Just, just a little bit more time to make sure you're hundred percent certain. Um, but there are other times I'll be like, uh, you know, I'll say, I'll never forget the world championships. I said something, um, I said something like, oh, yeah, it's 16 in a row for Jordan Power or something like that. And Jordan, who doesn't wear headphones, and he's he, – I mean, you, if you've seen Jordan yeah. Power throw, he's got swag, yep. right? Yeah. And yep. so he he walked out the other end, and he, he pointed at me. He goes, that one's for you. Like, and he pointed at me. And so – because he knew that I could hear him, and I and he could hear me and all that. So, um, no, it was uh, – certainly it is, it is weird that they can hear me, but I, for the most part, I try to just – completely not think about the fact that they can hear me and try to deliver information as I see it. My favorite interactions. So just, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Corbin. No, you're good. I was just going to say my, my favorite interactions aren't, aren't the ones where they say something. It's just when they're holding their bag, really focused and all of a sudden they just smile just or giggle, uh-huh. or like look down and they just laugh. Cause they can <laughs> yeah. hear you talking about a shot or something that those are the yeah. ones that get me. Cause I know they're trying so hard to just stay focused and they're just like hearing you talk. Yeah. And that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, is, yeah, I'm I'm not too far away. I'm about fifteen. I'm about about fifteen, twenty feet away. So I'm pretty close. Yeah, that's not very far. Now, do you ever worry that like your actual commentation on the shots might affect what they decide to do? Where you say, you know, with Cody, you're like, I don't like this airmail chance here, and then he's like, Oh, you know what? I don't either, and decides to lay up, or you know, or you could give a different insight. Like, well, he could go for a hard push, but I like the airmail better. And they were gonna push, and then they're, eh, maybe I should airmail. You know, I don't. Again, I don't think about it, but I've been told that a couple times it's put doubt in their minds. Um, right. And, and and you know, that's for me. I I, I don't think about it. Um, sure. I, again, I'm really just trying to focus on delivering the information as I see it and, and an honest opinion. Yeah, right. I mean. If I if I think if I think the right shot's an airmail, I'm gonna say it's an airmail. Now if they choose not to do the airmail, that doesn't necessarily mean they were wrong. It just means they felt that was the better shot, right? And sure. and it's and and for me, my job is not to say that was a dumb shot. My what I try to do is say, okay, I thought it was an airmail. When they don't airmail, it's then my job to explain why they chose not to. Because yep. the average person at home if they're listening to me and I make a mistake, they're either going to think, wow, that guy's not very smart. Or if you have it explained why they made that decision, they go, oh, now that person at home who knows nothing at corn about cornhole says to themselves, no, I think I would have airmailed too. And they know nothing <laughs> about cornhole, right? I mean, yeah. they, they know nothing. And so now they're an expert. They're engaged with the broadcast, right? And I think that's part of the reason why cornhole can be so addicting is because once you explain the game and, and say, this is what they're trying to do and it sets it up and either they do it or they don't, the reaction is, Oh my gosh, they're super good. Or you're like, that guy's terrible. Even though he's not terrible. That's just, you know, we're trying to instill reaction at home. All right. 
I, I like say, that. Yeah, I would say the, uh, um, and that's just nature of the beast too. Cause we were talking to Cheyenne Redder and she's like, I normally don't wear music when I go on the broadcast court, I wear music. And then she's like, yeah. she's like, just because it's like, I, I don't want to hear it, but she's like, I understand that it has to be there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's is, is what it is. So speaking of TV broadcasts, do you like that 10 round format for the TV broadcast or would you rather see him play to 21? Cause I mean, as a player, I would rather go to 21, you know, knock away a point at a time if you need to, but you know, I understand time limitations and all that with TV, but is that harder? Hang on, babe. Is that harder to commentate the 10 round or is it harder to keep going with the 21? Um, so I love the 10 round format for exactly what it's for. Um, so for me, you know, the 10 round format was just for our shootout series. So our nationals and our world championships are always played to 21. They're always the traditional format. So right now we have two different series of events that have two different formats. And I love it because I think each has its positive and its negative. Um, on the national side, you're playing a more traditional game. You can have these epic comebacks. You can have Graham versus Guy final chase 2020, where you have an epic comeback and then a battle and everything like that. You can have those special moments, which makes it, you know, and it's traditional cornhole, which is great for our national schedule. Now for the 10 round format and what we see at the shootout series, it's great because one, we get to see a ton more people on air. That's one thing that people forget. At a national, I can only have four games in a two-hour period. But in a shootout, I can have seven in a two-hour period, which allows me to show many more pros on a broadcast, which gives people a chance to make those broadcasts. Uh, the 10-round format also forces every game to be pretty close, right? Are there chances, times when someone goes out to a big lead? Yes. But on the most part, games are going to be very close. Now, to answer your question, that's kind of how I feel about both both sets. I like they they each have their place. I like them both for both for different reasons, and I like that we have the the variety. Now, to answer your question, what is harder? Um, I don't know if one is harder, but in the ten round format, you better get your stories out early. Is all I can say. You know, yeah. You know, if it, we have to get through our stories by the maybe the fourth round, because once the stakes ratchet up and we're in the second half of the game, which happens very quickly, when you're in round nine, you can't start a story about how someone's grandma really influenced them to be a cornhole player. Right. Because if you sure. start that story, the game's going to be over in the next minute and a half. So it, it really forces you um, to be on your toes. And if you're going to tell those stories, you got to do them early. So, um, yeah, I mean, th there's pros and cons to both. And I, I like having yep. both. I like the variety and it, and it, it kind of just gives something different. I do like that. I hadn't even thought about that. I'm, I'm a 21 player, you know, and it's just I kind of like where you went with that. And I understand um, that they with, have to do it for TV. I mean, you have a limited amount of time. I, just, I know yeah. from a player perspective, they're used to these 50, 60 round bouts, you know, so so they want to yeah. shoot it out 60 rounds, but it is cool well, you, you know, to see and, more uh, players. That's the thing. You don't have to. I mean, I could do a shootout series. You know, I, I could do a shootout series playing to 21. I absolutely could do that. But again, based on the, you know, the single elimination format, like I can only probably show three, maybe four games. Yeah. And, and so it's just, it's just about doing something different, um, you know, and, and putting a, a more made for TV product. The, the, the 10 round format to, you know, based on the, the unbiased 
I ha- has told us that it is a little bit more entertaining in a way, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I'm not ready to change the entire sport to that. I, I think that there's no need to do that. There's, yeah. there's a, it's okay to have both variations for those different yep. reasons. Yep. I like that a lot. Um, with TV, do you try to keep things simple? I mean, I know you kind of touched on this with stories and analytics and stats and stuff, but do you try to keep it more simple for a more general audience or do you tend to get a little more analytical and go toward more of the cornhole audience? I usually, you know, I let myself nerd out when the board tells me to nerd out. So (laughs) for example, if I have, if I have a certain situation where a complex shot is needed, as long as I'm not talking about it every single round, it will actually really interest an audience if I get super analytical for a short period of time, right? If there's multiple blocks and I'm saying, actually, what we want is a combo bully push. So we're going to push this bag out of the way here. We want to relocate it here. We want to go in. We want to make sure this bag falls like this or this bag stays, right? That's obviously a very complex shot. But the person at home, if I did that every single round, they'd be like, this is way too much. And they would lose interest. (laughs) But if I keep it very general and then all all of a sudden out of nowhere, I say that they go, whoa, what is this going to happen? And then when Eric Davis pulls it off, it's like that person at home all of a sudden is like, what in the world did I just see? Mm. So it is about, again, balance is kind of like an overused word, but in a way it kind of is. I don't force the complication in that naturally it's going to be very simple to do these broadcasts. So I keep it simple and I don't try to, I don't try to complicate things at all. Yeah. Thanks. Um, <laughs> I keep it simple because that's what, that's what the game delivers. Um, you know, and, and I, and I try to stick to that, but when it does present itself, I will, go a little bit deeper i will do do a little bit more analytics because you know it can kind of catch the catch the audience i would Mm -hmm. say we'll we'll touch on this in a second but eric davis since you mentioned him is one of the only players that i still see clips that like blow your mind a little bit (laughs) where like you're like you're like he's got a big pile here and he like three bag pushes all the way up the board you're like yeah how does that even work (laughs) like how does that happen and like we can't see the angle but you're like that thing couldn't have been more than three feet off the ground just a laser beam yeah i honestly sometimes think he's he's just making stuff up like (laughs) it's 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 i've said it on air before it's almost frustrating calling his game because i'm like (laughs) i remember you saying that smart move it's like this is the smart move, and he does the dumb move, and it still works. And so it's like it's just it's just wild how good, how talented he is. Um, you know, talent is is the word. Yeah, watching him flop an incinerator at the last open, and I've thrown incinerators; they're not floppy. So the fact that he's just right. flopping and rolling incinerators like nothing, I'm like, this is bonkers. But yeah, he's something else. So perfect segue actually for this. Um, you see some of the best shots in history all the time right is it actually hard to surprise you with a really good shot now or are you just kind of used to seeing them and nothing's going to surprise you anymore um i would say it's it's rare to surprise me in 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 an intention for a shot i mean 
certainly there's times when, hey, look, I, I mean, it happens every now and then. I go for an and one, I mean, I go for an airmail and it ends up in and one and a bag that wasn't supposed to fall goes off the board or I go for an airmail and a, a bag I never thought would drag will drag. So I get surprised by that. Um, that happens, I would say relatively frequently and it's, and it's good. It's it, to, to have that element of surprise. I think it's good. Um, it's, it's, it's less and less often that somebody chooses a shot selection that I'm not foreseeing and executing it, but, if it's anybody, it's Eric Davis, um, <laughs> just because that's what he can do. Um, but but yeah, no, I think um, and the roll shot is also adding an element of of uh, mystery as well. Because sometimes yep. I'm like, are they going to airmail or roll? But again, most of the time I can see the options. I don't know necessarily which one they're going to pick, sure. but I would say most of the time I can at least see he's either got a option A, B, or C. Well, we talked a little bit about commentary that kind of leads into, so obviously we are on a podcast, but now you've started your own podcast, uh, with, um, Anthony from Cornhole Science and Michelle, um, from Girls Throw 2, uh, with her, and you guys do a lot more of the ACL analytics. It's called Around the ACL. If you guys want to check it out, uh, the videos on ACL TV, otherwise you'll find it on your podcast platforms, uh, for Around the ACL. Very interesting. And you guys are very intellectual when it comes to the ACL audience, because I would say me and Corbin's audience is very much the the people getting into the game, people that like collecting bags, backyard players, people coming up, and your audience is a lot more like I want to see this fantasy players like um, you know skill more so on the professional level. But going into doing a podcast, is it been a fun platform for you to be able to kind of express your analyticness and like talk about players and what you've been seeing behind the scenes and maybe doesn't make TV? I mean, what's been the kind of the best part for you about doing that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, that's a big part of it. It's been, it's been a ton of fun. I mean, cornhole is slash was slash whatever missing that element of, you know, I needed an NFL live. I needed a Sunday night countdown. I needed a baseball tonight for cornhole because there wasn't one out there. Right. Um, there are podcasts out there, you know, you're, 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 you have a great podcast, right? It's, it's bag reviews. You have your niche. There's, there's other podcasts that, Hey, we're going to talk a little bit about cornhole, but really it's, you know, we're going to have a few beers and have a good time. Right. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with those podcasts. They're, they're great podcasts, but I just felt that not every podcast needed to be that, but we needed some podcasts that treated cornhole as a sport Mm-hmm. if we want cornhole to be treated as a sport. So, um, you know, around the ACL was something that that we, I just felt like we needed. Um, and as we grow out ACL Cornhole TV and have more and more content on there, I think there's just going to be more and more opportunity to, um, you know, have more shows like that and have more analytics and have more people talking about cornhole because, um, you know, we just need different, we needed different avenues for people to talk about our pros like they were athletes and talk about them like they're professional players. Right. And I think, um, I I think we're on the right track by no means are we where we want to be, but we're at least on the right track to kind of get in, in that right general direction. So, yeah, I love, I love the podcasting outlet. Um, I think it's been really good. Anthony is amazing. He is, one of the smartest people I've ever met. And he's probably the smartest man in cornhole as far as what he knows and understands and can develop just such at a detailed level. 
Michelle is is such a quick learner, but more importantly, she just she has a different perspective than Anthony and I do. Um, she's just very uh, psychologically minded. Um, she likes to ask the questions why, um, and and she's she's really good at getting into the mental side of games, as well as just you know trying to dive into people beyond face value. Um, and I think that really gives balances. Um, Anthony really well. And I kind of try to just fill in the gaps of um, things that I see and my gut feel and my, my, my hot takes and my, you know, ways to just stir up conversation um, about the game. So I think so far I've been really, really happy with how it's turned out. And I think it's just a, a different perspective for, for the Cornhole community to listen to. It's almost like your color commentating. This is uh, coming with you <laughs> wherever you yeah, go. Yeah, <laughs> but um, so I and I was going to ask. So, what do you want people to know when they tune in? A, co- a couple things when I was listening today, because obviously I like that you are talking about it as a you know NFL countdown baseball tonight. Because uh, the episode I listened to, you guys do had a buy or sell section. You know, with which tails back to uh, like uh, around the horn, which I mean around the ACL. Yes. I mean, so really trying to pull off those those bits, but, um, if people were going to turn in, tune in, listen to what should they expect when they're coming to listen? Yeah. So it's going to be a lot of different things. You know, uh, we always open the show with what's going on right now. Did we have an open? Let's talk results. You know, if you couldn't watch it all weekend, you want to know the, the big bullet points, right? Same thing. If you, if, if, if a big week of NFL football and you couldn't watch it, first thing you do is you turn on sports center the next day. You want to know what happened. That's, that's, that's where we want to be, right? The first part of our show is always going to be, you know, an intro talking about what just happened, what happened this past weekend. Then we're going to, then we, we always like to bring on Mike Morton. He does an, an analysis. He does a Morton's corner type of special where he, he talks about really some in-depth stats and statistics that you may not have thought about. Um, and he brings some really cool stuff. And then, Generally, we'll do a segment or two. Sometimes we'll do an interview. Sometimes we'll do just a you know a buy or sell segment where we're trying to you know debate some of the opinions in cornhole and have have some opinionated based segments. Um, we always do a segment called News Around the League. So this is an important one too because not only do we have the big opens and nationals that we like to talk about, but you know sometimes there are big money tournaments that everybody's seen on social media. Sometimes there are big conference tournaments. When conference tournaments go on. People want to know that Tony Smith won singles and doubles at the Northeast Conference event last weekend. People want to know that kind of stuff and know that he was absolutely dominant in that in that uh, event. So, you know, we always have a, a news around the league that keeps you up to date with some of the conference events. And then, you know, we always end with what we call a, a holy hot takes, which is, um, <laughs> you know, just something something bold, brash, and, and exciting, a uh, statement that we believe in, a hot take, and, and that's kind of how we conclude our show. So it's it's really meant to be, you know, a summary of everything that's going on, uh, sprinkled in some, you know, some opinions that, that are worth debating across the, the Cornell world. That's awesome. And, and kind of segueing into our next section, too, um, the episode that I just watched from this week, if you guys haven't checked it out, it kind of went over the 2021 Cornhole Draft that just happened. I'm sure a lot of people have been seeing that on Facebook. One of the things that I liked the most about the episode and the podcast in general was that even though you're like the voice of Cornhole in terms of TV and Anthony is very well known in the community and Michelle is as well, you guys don't like uh, soften your opinion. Like, like you just said, like this team was the worst draft, I think, in my opinion. And like, I don't understand why this person got taken so early. Like it, it's it, like, 
it's and it should be like that with a sports show. It's it's no disrespect. It's just you're just looking at it subjectively as an analyst. Like you know, they went a little bit too early. They went super super late, and it's just from experience of seeing them. So I, I just appreciated that. Like even though you're not afraid to like step on toes if it's your opinion. Like you're not just trying to like say the thing everybody wants to hear. Um, which I think. So if any of you guys want a and crazily unbiased opinion from the ACL itself. Um, I think it's just, it's a great content, but we'll move into. Yeah. And I would say it it takes, it takes time to develop that Mm -hmm. because I grew up in the Cornwall community. So like, I I know what it's like to, you know, be friends with all these people. And, you know, I, I, and and I know it's like to to know all these people. I mean, like, you know, I can't say how many times I've, 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 you know, given bad grades to the Cobb brothers all so far this season, but I still love those, those, those three to death. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it's, you know, it, 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 that's just something people have to learn and it's really tough. And I, and it put people in tough positions to do that. But again, if you want to be taken seriously as a sport and as a, as a, as a show, you have to be able to debate the, deliver those segments. Cause if you just say everybody is so good then nobody wants to listen and nobody ever, you can't expect everybody to have the same opinion, but the, the reason some of these shows, and I, and I don't, I don't want to be a, a first take, right? I don't want to turn into a, whoever's <laughs> got the best Smith. hot take. <laughs> yeah, whoever, whoever, whoever has the best hot take wins. That's not what I want to turn into. But at the same time, there absolutely is a reason and an element to why successful, why shows that deliver opinions are successful, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what we want to do. I want to give my opinion. I want Anthony to give his opinion. I want Michelle to give her opinion because when they do that. It sparks conversation, and conversation is exactly what we need in the sport. That's awesome. And uh, and moving in a little bit about the draft, so to start it off, um, if, if you guys didn't know, uh, Trey actually produced the draft, which was your first time doing a full-on production or taking on that role, which it turned out awesome. So, I mean, congrats to you on putting that whole thing on. I know afterwards you were talking about how exhausting it was, but, I mean, it, it <laughs> hopefully it turned out as good as you were hoping for. I heard the one negative thing was uh, the first day it didn't it didn't have your the pick is in noise loud enough so people couldn't hear it. And so yeah. <laughs> you're probably going to bed. You're like, yeah, I was awesome. so excited for that. It, it wasn't loud enough. Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the we got it. We got it figured out, though. Yeah, it was it was cool to kind of do that. You know, I'd always kind of done a little bit of live stream stuff. I mean, that's how the commentators in the cornhole business. You got to start as a live stream operator first, right? Yep. I mean, that's that's just the nature of the business, right? There's nothing to commentate to if you don't have the live stream set up. So, um, you know, that's I've always had a little bit of that, but it was cool to actually do a full fledged production like that. It was it was fun. But uh, what do you think going into the draft? What do you think this is now bringing to the sport that either wasn't there before or like what kind of viewers do you think you're bringing in? Do you think like, you know, what do you think this is adding as an element to the sport that necessarily wasn't here before? It's, you know, as dumb as it sounds, it's bringing a team element. So, you know, it's it's bringing an opportunity for people to have affiliations with a group that they really like. Right. I mean, part of the reason people watch team sports is because they can pick a team, they can become a fan and, and they can cheer for them. Right. And, 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 you know, golf and tennis, you know, you can be a Tiger Woods fan. Right. But it's kind of weird if you went out and like, you can't even buy like a Tiger Woods Jersey. Like it's weird. It's almost kind of different to, 
to really be out a huge fan of one single person. But being a fan of the team, no matter when the players come or go, gives you an opportunity to really be emotionally invested. And when people are emotionally invested, that's when you really get even more of a following and you get even more, um, you know, focus into your sport. So for us, it was like, we need to, we need to have people out there, you know, we want to be selling jerseys and we want people to be like huge sliders fans and to really build out this team model, um, maybe even eventually franchise it to a point where people are, you know, falling in love with, with how the, the team format goes and they, they have their favorite players they're rooting for and they're keeping up with statistics. And there's also a betting aspect of it, you know, sports betting, you know, um, trying to have that really grow within our sport. So people are not only emotionally, but now financially invested in, in, in who wins on a game to game basis. So um, certainly I think it's going to open a lot of different doors for us, um, both from the viewer side and the player side. And that's one of the things I was going to ask you in terms of the naming. So I don't know, obviously, the logistics behind it, but is there a reason why there, you know, that you didn't go with like a Seattle Sliders or like a city-based name? Is there some kind of like revenue that goes along with having a city-based name? Because I know like people then, if there's the Minnesota something. It's like, well, I don't care who's on that team. I'm probably going to cheer for them because I'm from here, you know? So <laughs> I just didn't know if that went into consideration or where the naming came from. Yeah, so the idea is maybe eventually, but we mm-hmm. didn't want to set it now and then realize it may not work later. Uh, We could always add locations later. Um, Part of the reason we didn't add it now is because it kind of didn't make sense, right? So, and the reason it didn't make sense is we just didn't think, okay, if I put the sliders in San Diego, the San Diego sliders, right? And nobody on the team actually lives in San Diego and they don't play in San Diego. It just kind of didn't make sense. Now, what I would love is for in three, four years when the prize pool is five to $10 million and I have a, you know, a good chunk of my professional players are full-time players and I can have a little bit more, I can have a little bit more uh, regional base and have people like actually travel to San Diego to play and practice. Then yeah, I think that's going to make a lot more sense. Um, and, and, and maybe even have facilities too, right? If we have, you know, an eSports stadium or something like that, that can double as a cornhole stadium and we have it in a certain city and that's where San Diego sliders, they play all their events. And yeah, I think that makes a lot more sense yep. um, to do it that way. And, and we may eventually get there. We just kind of wanted to hold off. We didn't want to jump too far down that rabbit hole without having a you know, a really good reason to. Yeah. And I know like you touched on esports, but I know certain like call of duty, for example, they have, they did the city based thing or whatever, but they all play in California all the time. But then every year they each host one open event in that city or whatever. They rent out an esports stadium in that city as their way of coming to play there, kind of thing. But I, I just know, I obviously this is the beginning that we just started this, but there's so many, which is so cool. There's so many avenues you can take it in the next five years. And if you can get to the point that people, you know, have a team to root for coming out or they turn on the TV. Oh, Cornell's on wait, the Minnesota, what, you know, or the, the San Diego, what yeah. and all of a sudden they're into it more, but that's really cool. And you touched on this a tad, it, um, the team base bringing 
affiliation uh, or friends together to play. And that kind of leads into my next question of there were some teams that were very regionally biased or like friend by picked a lot of their partners or people they knew well and teams that really went a little more in the strategy. They picked good doubles teams. They picked just the best player on the board that maybe mesh with their team. And do you, which one do you think is going to be the most important? Like, do you think that familiarity bias is going to overpower just the straight like decision strategy or like, because I know you and Anthony kind of had differing opinions on, on this, but. Yeah, I think having some, I think having some level of chemistry is needed. I don't think that having pure chemistry, hundred percent chemistry is needed either. Right. Um, I, I think that um, in a way, having players that are somewhat familiar with each other, maybe played with each other once or twice is going to be the key. So for me, I want to see a team that has really strong, consistent players and then can match up in a way that has some level of chemistry. And if you can complete that combination, then ultimately I think you're in a position where you're, you you have, you can arguably have the best team because um, you know, the one thing I don't want to see is a bunch of random people that have never played together. Um, and if there are a bunch of people that have never played together, then it's going to be tough to develop chemistry. But at the same time, I don't want to sacrifice talent for chemistry. Sure. So um, I think talent is going to mean a little bit more, but you have to have some form of minimal level chemistry in order to succeed. And what do you think is going to be more important? Actual person to person chemistry like we've played together in the past or bag selection chemistry? Um, I think, believe it or not, I think person to person chemistry. Um, That's not what I was expecting. And and, (laughs) yeah, uh, because, you know, doubles is such a con, I mean, such a cornhole is such a confidence game, Mm, right? 100%. And if I have any, any level of doubt whatsoever in myself or something that throws me off my game, right? I, I pick a partner normally and I play doubles with a, with a partner that I can jive with, right? But all of a sudden, if I put someone out there that really doesn't jive with me and maybe I do something to throw them off their game, maybe they do something to throw me off their game, that all of a sudden makes both players on the team worse. Um, and that's not what you want, right? Um, bag selection, I think... For the most part, there's a lot of similar bags out there. I mean, we can talk it all day about bags and this and bags and that, but you guys have reviewed enough bags to know that there's a lot of common materials between, you know, 47 different sets of bags, right? So to an extent, right. Do I want someone who throws a fast-sided incinerator playing with someone that throws a slow carpet? No. Okay. (laughs) I, I get that. I get that element, right? But if I have someone that throws fire incinerators and I have someone that throws an all slide, you can't tell me that they can't yeah. go between one another and, and find find a common ground and find a bag that's going to be good and that they really like. So um, I honestly think it's going to come down more to player-player chemistry than bags. Yeah, and that, that, bags that, are important, though. That bags little are comparison important. you made say. sounded a lot like Cheyenne Rutter and Jamie Graham, but I, I don't know. That's just <laughs> like, huh, those two players use those bags. Huh. <laughs> yeah, but um, so I guess uh, that's a little bit about the the draft stuff. But we'll just go into the ACL in general because obviously that's I mean that's where we are. We're talking about the ACL, but 
With the world pandemic that we just went through, uh, or still going through in a sense, the ACL, of all things, actually didn't stop their events. You guys had a lot of protocols in place, but you still held your events. And do you feel like that was a tough time for the ACL, or do you feel like that actually was getting more people into the game, watching the game, because you guys were still having events when a lot of stuff wasn't? Yeah, the the first couple weeks of the pandemic sucked. But um, (laughs) once we... uh, when everything shut down, we thought we were done. We thought we were toast. Um, just because, I mean, we weren't the NFL. I mean, the NFL can, you know, L- NFL's got billions of dollars. They can take a few weeks off and just, you know, be fine. For us, it was like we gotta, we gotta pay bills. We gotta, we had sponsor obligations. We've already, you know, sponsors have written us checks to be on broadcast that we've already spent that money. So it was like we're in a position now. We're like, oh shoot. So. Um, <laughs> So we were definitely in panic mode. Um, but once we got through it, I think it ended up being an amazing year for us in 2020 because when nobody else was on TV, we were on TV. Um, and that just got more exposure. And with more exposure came more media outlets ready, more people taking us seriously, and more people respecting us. And we've just seen a big shift in mentality. And the most times when you can see it, it's like, the place where I see it the most is when you're talking to was when you're talking to sponsors, right? Because, you know, two years ago it was like, you're the American what league. Um, and now <laughs> it's, you know, and that's, and that's tough. That's tough to sell your brand against that mentality. Um, and now it's, Oh, it's the American Cornwall league. I've seen you guys on ESPN. So now there's a familiarity. And so now you're not necessarily trying to sell your brand to people that have no idea who you are and don't think you're legitimate. Now you have people that have brand recognition and sport recognition, which is key. So um, again, we still got a long way to go. There's still very many out there that may know us, but don't consider us a major sport, you know? And so because we're not a major sport, they don't, they don't feel like they, you know, don't feel the same way that they feel about us with the major league baseball or anything like that. So um, certainly a long way to go, but we, 2020 was a big year in getting over that hump. Yeah. And Jamie said multiple times that Stacy getting that CBS and ESPN deal has been the biggest thing for the sport period, which I agree with because yeah. I have, you know, my, my parents or my golf friends and stuff We like, cause I told them I'm reviewing Cornell bags and they're like, Oh, I've seen that on TV once. That's always the response I get. It's oh, I saw that on ESPN the other day. And I'm like, how many people would not even yeah. know that this is a real thing if it what didn't yeah. hit ESPN? You know, it's just, yeah. it's just such a big thing for the game. And uh, and that's kind of leading into what we're starting to see now, which is like the players that are coming in and we'll talk about this a little later. But Alex Hicks is like 12 or whatever. <laughs> but the players yeah. that are coming in now are better than they've ever been. And the and like there's players that are entering the game even older that are better than they've ever been. So the competition level is just insane. So where do you think that the game is going to be changing with these new players coming in? Because I think we've seen a little bit of the old guard kind of not getting the results that they were getting in past years because just the quantity of players is so good now. Um, what? How do you think they keep up with that? And like, how do you think the game is going to change with this player base? So the, I, I foresee the game getting younger over the next three to five years, much younger. And the reason I say that is, but I think after that, we have it get older again. And, and, and the reason I say that is because right now, people that are 12 years old, 16 years old, 18 years old, have an advantage because they 
can make $30,000 a year being a full-time professional cornhole player, right? Whereas Matt Guy, he, he's got a family. He can't, he can't take a $40,000 salary to support his family at that point in his life. Mm-hmm. So as we continue to grow, more and more of these talented younger players are going to have – that's all they're doing is spending their entire life playing cornhole right now. Right. When Alex Hicks gets home from school, he's throwing for probably six hours a day right now. Right. When Matt guy gets home for work, he can't throw for six hours a day. If he can get an hour in a day, that's a, that's a great day. Right. So as the money gets more and more and gets higher and higher until we get to a point where we see even, you know, even our, you know, our top players that are older that are, you know, until we see them, be able to do this full time where they can spend hours upon hours a week perfecting their craft, practicing, doing all the things necessary. The game is going to get younger and more and more of these younger players that have nothing to do are going to be able to do that. But like I said, when Matt guy is making $210,000 a year as a full-time professional cornhole player and he's quitting his, he can quit his job then and he does that now all of a sudden, the playing field gets leveled because then some of these these players that that had to spend their time being an adult and having a full time job, you know, now they can have that full time job, but it's dedicated to cornhole. So I'm look look for it to continue to get younger, but I think after you know, I'd probably say three four more years, we're going to see a point where there's a lot more people that are in their twenties and even in their thirties and forties that are they're doing this for a living. And so it, it kind of evens back out. Sure. I mean, that makes a ton of sense. And we talk about that all the time, like with, uh, you know, anybody under the age of 18 or before, or if you're still living with their parents, your parents have enough money to be able to fly you to events and whatnot. You just have this um, bigger advantage because you can come home and practice and then you don't have to worry about, you know, travel expenses and X, Y, Z. You can just go play and just yep. be good at it. Um, and, and so, yeah, that makes a ton of sense, but a lot of the new players coming in now are utilizing a carpet bag. There's obviously players that still throw ultra and like Noah Z and, and, and some other people, but a lot of these younger guys are using carpet now and utilizing that roll and the cut and flop and all these different kinds of shots, contrary to just the airmail because the block is just such a strong shot because uh, people can't shoot airmails like Matt Guy all the time. Uh, but, <laughs> right. But how do you see, uh, like, do you see this becoming the most popular style for a while? Do you think that it's it's just maybe going to even out, or do you think it's always going to be the slide players are going to reign supreme and the carpet's going to be like a niche thing? You know what's so funny is I want to take the clip of what you just said, and I want to show it to the entire cornhole world about 10 months ago when <laughs> everybody was up in arms. Yep. Everybody was up in arms because the game had gotten so fast with the bags that it was boring and all people wanted to do was throw bag after bag after bag in the hole. And I got on my soapbox and I told everybody it shifted to fast bags. I promise you guys it's going to shift back to slow bags. I promise (laughs) you there is a cycle in which we go with. And everybody kept telling me, no, no, this is bad. This is bad. Well, okay, well, thank you. We're, we're back to where we need to be. So um, so to answer your question, um, I think it's a pendulum. It's a pendulum that's going to continuously swing back and forth. What's going to happen is everybody is going to – so your top players go to a carpet, right? 
then everybody starts falling. Everybody starts, and before you know it, three months from now, four months from now, everybody's going to be throwing carpet. Everybody. And then Damon Dennis is going to win a tournament because everybody keeps throwing blocks and they're missing their blocks. And all Damon Dennis is doing is slide 40 bags in a row in the hole. Okay. (laughs) And he's going to do that. And then somebody else is going to say, Oh, I don't want to throw carpet anymore. I'm going to throw that. And then now everybody, okay. Now everybody's getting rid of their carpet bags and everybody's getting really fast. And then we we swing back the pendulum over this way. And we're just going to do this back and forth for eternity because it, that's just how the game goes. The game is so we're at the point now where we've reached that point, that pinnacle of technology that, you know, it's just going to be, it's going to be what the trend is right now. So the trend sure. is getting back to that slower bag, but the more and more people that throw the slower bag, that means the more and more people that don't really know how to throw a slower bag and start throwing a slower bag, which is going to leave opportunity for the people to throw the faster bag to succeed again. And that's where we're going to see that pendulum swing. So, you know, personally, I just like that we have a pendulum swing. For me, that yeah. gives me something to talk about, gives, gives me something to analyze. And as long as we never find ourselves flatlining, we find ourselves continuously innovating, continuously changing back and forth, I think that's what's going to be key. So playing devil's advocate, um, so back when you know maybe it was like slide rights and pro advantage and a lot of slower bags, and then it went to game changers, and now everyone's got fast bags. Um, d- like There wasn't as much of the players back then or if any, that really had this roll shot, utilize this roll shot to the extent that we have now. Do you think, because this roll shot is to some point, I mean, Alex Six made it look like a more consistent airmail just because of how often he could do it. Yeah. Uh, like, do you see that maybe preventing some of the pendulum for a lot of the players just because it's like, it is so maybe consistent or now that they have this other shot, they don't have to airmail carpet all the time? Yeah, so one thing I would say is, you know, the roll shot looks consistent when it goes in the hole, but you don't sure. remember hmm. yourself. You don't, you never remember a missed roll shot. You don't because when it, when they throw it and they miss, it ends up on the board and you're like, okay, I'll get the next one. No big deal. But you don't plant that in your memory. When someone throws the airmail and throws it off the board, you go, Ooh, we missed the airmail. That's sure. why, because you know, the, the, you're going to remember the shots that go off the board. So with the roll shot, yes, you're getting the upside of it stays on the board, but the downside is there's always a percentage of chance in every roll shot. I don't care what you say. There's always a percentage of chance. If you catch the bag too much, if you throw it too deep and catch too much of the bag, if it rolls and catches and just goes a little bit left, it there's way, there's always an element of chance. Now, that chance could be 5%, could be 10%, but there's an element of chance. I would argue that the only surefire shot there is in cornhole is the airmail, okay? And I think what we're going to see is, yes, we're going to see a trend of more and more roll shot players, but Matt Guy is one of the best in the world that, you know, if you put any type of block, he's going to airmail because he knows he can 100% control it, and if he does it, there's nothing you can do to beat him. And so all I, all I would say to that fact is, you know, I, um, Alex Hicks is an amazing, right? Amazing. Not taking anything away from him, but Matt guy, people forget Matt guy was a, a bag hanging on the hole oh, that normally yeah. falls in away from yeah. actually winning that oh, yeah. game. Right. And yes, although Alex Hicks would have been renowned as what all I'm getting at is let's not forget that Matt guy plays a game where he slides, slide, slide. If you block him, he's throwing airmail. I'm surprised there's not more people with that style that try to develop an unconscious airmail 
and go with it relentlessly because I honestly think it'd be just as effective, if not more effective strategy. No, I, I agree. I mean, like, and, and it's not even like he, uh, he, he would block behind and shoot an airmail. I think that's the craziest part about someone who's not on Matt Guy's level is like if Alex Hicks would throw any block, he would just airmail immediately. Like wouldn't even think. Mm-hmm. He would just airmail immediately. Yeah. And then you look at a player like Jimmy McGuffin, who, uh, like, I mean, that his record out of 100, he's hit 96 out of 100 in his backyard. I mean, and he's renowned as like the airmail king basically right like that's his shot so uh, i I would say that's a really good take on it you know and i think the roll shot's just the hot topic right now everyone wants to be able to do it it looks cool you know oh yeah it's the new airmail in terms of the hype shot to happen kind of thing but uh yeah i mean that uh, matt guy don't get me wrong i love it i I love i love the roll shot and i i'm not against it at all i just like playing devil's advocate and that yeah i just like to you know when all, all I like to say is when people get up in arms that they think one thing is just going to dominate and take over for the rest of their lives, I'm, I just pump the brakes and say history says otherwise because we've had these conversations <laughs> four or five times already. Sure. And it always, I mean, I remember the first time I heard the word cheater bag when everything was made of chain. And for the first time <laughs> ever, for the first time ever, someone used a cornhole board that was a portal bag that wasn't made of suede. And that thing actually slid all the way up the board. And we yeah. thought the world was ending, right? <laughs> I mean, it just the game evolves and, and people evolve with it. Yeah, true. Um, and, and going a little bit into that Alex Hicks and Matt guy, which if you guys if you guys haven't seen this game, it's the full games on YouTube on the ACL. It is the most insane game I've ever seen. Yeah, just in to terms watch of it. pure raw skill, where it's just I mean, it went like forty something rounds. They had fifty some forty seven rounds, fifty seven four baggers between the two. Alex Hicks yeah. was hitting like eighty percent roll. Matt guy's like 80% airmail. I mean, it was the most ridiculous thing. But um, do you think that that is the peak of like what you could do in this game? Or do you think we're going to like, where do you think it goes from that? I mean, like watching that as someone who's like practicing all the time, like it's intimidating to watch. Like you're like, they did not miss. Like they missed one off the board and you're like, oh my gosh, he missed. They're going to score. It's like, and that level is just so hard to comprehend. Like, where do you think it goes from here? Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty close. <laughs> that's <laughs> as pretty close to near perfect <laughs> as you can get, right? So, um, I, I would say you know those are those those are two players at the top of their game. Um, you know, I, I think that that's pretty darn close to what what we come to. And I and I thought it was a great game because of how we saw it happen. Right? It wasn't it wasn't just slide, 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 slide. Like right. There were some str- there were some stretches where it was, yeah. which was great to watch. I mean, four bagger after four bagger, four bagger. But then there came points where it was like block, airmail roll, airmail roll, airmail push, round over double <laughs> four bagger. I mean, stuff like that, which I think is amazing for the game and makes it that much more watchable. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think I, that's pretty close. I mean, I, I don't know how you get that much better than that, right? I mean, I just don't foresee a way to get better. If anything, we just see that more consistently on a more consistent basis. And, you know, I I think I speak for everybody when I say, if I saw that on a more consistent basis, I think I'd be pretty happy. Yeah. And uh, I mean, absolutely. And we were talking a minute ago, you saying like, you know, Matt guy's a family and he can't practice to the level that, you know, Alex Hicks can and whatnot. But the fact that Matt guy is on a mission this year, guys, just know he's not going to be losing much. I don't think <laughs> this year in any event and in doubles or singles, because that dude, I mean, he misses a bag hanging on the hole and he's upset. 
Like he's like mad that he's like, how do I miss by an inch? Like, come on, what are you doing? And it's just, I mean, I love, I love the Matt guy story because, you know, over the past two years, because I think he came into the ACL his first year as a pro thinking that he was just going to run over everybody. And he did. Yes. He was number one doubles team in the world, but he had to do it alongside Jamie Graham, who was the best player in the ACL arguably in the world in 2020. Yeah. And so when he paired up with him, you know, it took him time, but I think Matt guy was really humbled and, and really had to realize I I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not there yet mentally. And I think this season has been the result of Matt guy realizing I can't, I can't just waltz in and do whatever I want. Like I got to grind and I have to focus and I have to do all these things. And now we're seeing the fruits of that labor, which I really love. I love to see that motivated Matt guy. And I think he's one that was humbled last year. And because of that, he comes in more focused. And so it is going to be a special year to watch him. Corbin, you want to take the last couple? Yeah. Yep. This, I was actually thinking about this one earlier today. Um, so we know the sport's growing. It's getting bigger daily. I didn't hear you there, Trey. No, I think he's just, he's good. Oh, okay. I thought <laughs> he was saying something. Uh, but the sport's growing. It's getting bigger daily. Um, right now we are capped at 256 pros, if I'm not mistaken. Do you see that number getting bigger at some point? Like, is there going to be more openings for pro spots? Uh, so I don't foresee us changing the domestic number of ACL pros at 256, but our, our ultimate vision is to have 256 uh, you know, pros here in the United States and 256 pros internationally. Um, that is the ultimate vision for us. And so that way we have these, you know, inter interleague competitions between, um, you know, domestic pros and international pros. So, Okay. Uh, we like the PDC program that we've come out this year with the 64 players that kind of act as a reserve. Um, yep. Not sure if we'll expand that, but I think we like the 256 number at, at the pro level. Um, maybe we expand the PDC pool in the future. I don't know. There hasn't been talks about it, but you never know. It could happen. Um, and then, um, you know, internationally, certainly trying to get more and more pros on the, uh, on that front. That's awesome. I would love to see that like a U.S. versus yeah, Canada Ryder or Cup. U.S. versus Mexico or whatever. Yeah, Ryder Cup style <laughs> with Cornwall. I do love that. Yeah, exactly. That is great. Um, so to conclude, where do you see the sport heading big picture? You know, obviously it's growing, but what are the next big goals in a public scale for our game? Yeah, it's all, it's all five. So, uh, you know, 500,000 players playing um, in the ACL, 500,000 players, uh, 50 countries uh, across the world having some form of a cornhole league um, and a $5 million prize pool for our ACL pro players. So uh, we want to do that in the next five years. So for us, it's, it's all fives. And that's, that's a vision that we've had now for the past six months and, and something that we're going to be aggressive and we're big goal setters um, and we move fast and, if people can't keep up, we, we, we leave them in the dust. That's just kind of how we are. Um, you know, we're, if, if you don't believe, you know, if you don't believe in, in, in your own, in your own brand and, and, and what you can accomplish, there's to me, there's no reason why we can't 
be a major sport and people laugh at it all the time. And I, I'll laugh with them and I'll say, but I'm kind of serious. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's, there's, if, if, if the people from the top down, this is what I always, this is what I always tell people and people that want to get invested in cornhole. Right. And I say all the different things that we need to do to grow our sport. And they're like, man, it's hard to do all that stuff. And I say, well, <laughs> if you're not talking to your buddies about cornhole, if you're not tweeting about cornhole, if you're not watching about, if you're not watching cornhole on TV, if you're not watching cornhole on Facebook, if you're not playing cornhole on a Tuesday night, if you're not being a positive influence to cornhole growing as a sport, then who is? Because you're the main demographic. You are a part of the core cornhole community. So if you aren't doing something in order to grow it, if you aren't taking that initiative, Joe Schmo on their couch that's seen cornhole twice on ESPN their entire lives sure as hell isn't going to do it. So yep. there's a responsibility there as someone that wants to be a leader um, and as we think ourselves as, as strong leaders in the sport, we have an obligation. We have a responsibility um, to continue to drive the sport forward. And we're going to do it as aggressively as possible. And we're going to do everything that we can. We're going to move fast. We're going to make mistakes along the way. But at the same time, we're going to learn from them. And we're just going to keep getting better. Yeah. And I think that mentality stems a lot to what me and Corbin do. I mean, like we, you know, this isn't our job and I think people sometimes think it is like making content, but we're doing it purely for the fact that we just want more information out there. We want more people to see it. We want to tell people about it. We want to be somebody that is relatable that they can come talk to that kind of thing. So, but I mean, those are awesome goals. I I don't think they're unattainable by any means. I think the pace that we're on right now. And I think the whenever people laugh at the fact of Cornell being a sport, it's like what other activity can almost, any walk of life, you know, a 12 year old can win this gigantic event or, you know, a 60 year old retired can be the number one in the world. You know I mean? It's like what sport can do that. And it's purely just based on drive, determination, practice, mental strength, consistency, you know, it's accessible to the masses, which is the reason I think it's going to get so big, but you know, in summary, you know, like you got your podcast. So anybody who like wants to listen to more ACL content, specifically players and events and really get uh, up-to-date stuff because there's not a lot of info on the internet. Check out the Around the ACL podcast, really enjoyable to listen to. Check out more stuff on this Cornhole Draft coming out. A lot of the teams, there's going to be a lot of affiliations. If you have a player that you see him post on Facebook that you like, follow along with their team. It's going to be a lot of cool content, different matchup partner teams that haven't maybe played together or, you know, players that you haven't seen a lot of getting some main stage, main stage time, which is really, really cool. And uh, the ACL, the ACL, I'm glad that, you know, you guys are all putting the work in to take these steps in this direction. It's going to grow the game. And I think everybody wants to see this, the game grow. I think that's just going to make it better for everybody. And it's definitely on the way. So Really appreciate you sitting down for the time. You know, great stories, great commentary, uh, commentary, uh, great info <laughs> about the commentary, but uh, really fun to talk to you. Uh, appreciate you stopping by and good luck with the next couple of years and this season as well. And, and hope everything goes great and, and uh, hope to see you at an open sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks guys. Really appreciate it. You guys, uh, you guys got some raw talent. So keep doing what you're doing and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, certainly. See, see you guys in an open sometime. All right. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. And we'll catch you in the next one.